Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Crushing Lemons. As always, I'm Ryan, and I'll be your host each episode. As the old saying goes, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Here on Crushing Lemons, we're dedicated to sharing the inspirational stories of our guests each week. On today's episode, our special guest is Caleb, and he's going to share his story about how a lemon moment earlier in his life led him down a path he realized he didn't want to follow, and how he was able to change course and instead follow down a path focused on the culinary arts. And now as we get ready to begin the episode, it's time to sit back, relax, grab some lemonade, and join us as we sit down with Caleb and he shares his story of how he was able to take his lemon moment and make his very own lemonade. So welcome back, everybody, to episode four of Crushing Lemons. Today, our special guest is Caleb Suda, and I will let him introduce himself to you guys. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Caleb Suda. I am from Green Bay, Wisconsin, born and raised, um, and I am the co-owner of Iron Duck Restaurant here. I'm very excited to uh, be on. Thank you. Huge shout out to uh, Ryan for inviting me on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And I'm uh, very excited to share my story with you guys. So this is probably our farthest guest we've had so far, literally a couple thousand miles away. I'm down in central Florida. He's up in Wisconsin. Um, So even if we didn't have a global pandemic going on right now, we'd still be recording virtually. So it's still a learning curve with all of this. Let's jump in kind of with a little bit about you. You said that you're the co-owner of Iron Duck Restaurant. Um, If you want to share with our listeners a little bit about kind of your personal background and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's just dive right in. Um, well, I'm not going to give the the whole biographical background because that's just you know a little bit too much. But uh, you know, long story short, is I've been served more lemons uh, than I can possibly remember. Um, but I want to share the the sourest, the, the most bitter lemon that life has ever handed me. Um, to do that, we'll just give a little bit of background. Um, so I grew up, like I said, in, in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, and I grew up with what I thought was the absolute perfect life. Um, you know, little kid, um, I had lots of room in the yard and we had an ATV and a boat that we would take out. We went camping and, uh, you know, my, my parents were always there and they were both fantastic cooks. So of course I was well fed. (laughs) Um, and my father in my eyes, uh, was a perfect man. Um, you know, everybody's got their flaws and, you know, he, had more than his fair share of his, um, especially because he was a full-time musician and part-time cook for a long time. Uh, we all know musicians, uh, myself included, tend to not be the most perfect uh, people in the world. Um, you know, booze, cigarettes, uh, music, rock and roll, it all just goes well together. Um, but in my eyes, he was a perfect man. Um, so I, I thought I had the life. Um, and then I was about nine years old. and um, we had got word that, uh, my father had cancer. Um, you know, growing up, he was always the the lead singer and guitar player in bands while his cancer was in his larynx, his voice box. Um, so he got rushed down to Madison hospital, um, and a huge shout out to the, the team down there. They did a great job, but they ended up having to remove his voice box. Um, so at nine years old, uh, you know, I, my father would never speak the same way again. He had a permanent stoma hole, a, a hole in his throat so that he could breathe and, and speak, you know, at least a little bit. Um, and that, that was a, a big deal for our family. Um, you know, to go from what I thought was absolutely perfect. And I was, I was living in heaven. Uh, and then to have that, uh, almost essentially ripped away. And I didn't find out till much later, just a few years ago that he had almost died on the operating table. Um, that the cancer had taken over just such a large part of his, his throat, his neck. Um, 
but you know, we, we made it through as a family. I, I've always had a, a great support team with my family, which has been great. Um, and you know, we, we made it through and that was one thing that, you know, at, at the time being kind of too young to understand what it all happens. Um, it felt like life went back to normal after that. Um, and you know, as normal as it could be like that. Uh, but I was just happy that, that he was still there. So in all intents and purposes, it was kind of back to, uh, our normal life. Um, so, you know, start going about life again. We ended up moving, uh, from Howard Swamico, uh, over to West De Pere. Um, and little fun fact, that's where I met Ryan. <laughs> back in the good old days of high school. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but every, everything was going great. Um, we had just gotten this new house and, uh, you know, my, my dad wanted to build my mom kind of the, the dream house and we didn't have much because, uh, you know, like I said, he was a musician for a long time and he ended up giving that up after he stopped singing and he started cooking full time at a box car Billy's restaurant. Um, and my mom was a teacher. So really we didn't have much, but he, we always had more than we needed. Um, so kind of fast forward a little bit more now I'm 14, uh, you know, going into, whatever year that is, eighth grade year, I think it is, um, freshman year, something like that. Um, and all of a sudden I come home from school with my little brother who's three years younger than I am. And we walk in the house and my mom and dad are sitting in the master bedroom and they're not talking. They're just silent. And we knew immediately something was wrong. So we go walking into the room and uh we get sat down and they say the cancer is returned um it's mesothelioma cancer in his lungs they're going to do everything they can but he's been given uh a few months to a half a year to live and that is best case scenario and that rocked my world again talk about 11 um you know you he, he already beat it once we thought that we were over on the other side of this we were counting our blessings and, and fortunate. And then all of a sudden it's all over just like that. So, I mean, we, we didn't say much. We all just kind of sat there together. Um, and then we started going about our life again. And for the first few weeks, it, it didn't feel real. It didn't seem like anything had really changed at all. And then, you know, you can kind of see in his face that it, it starts to change a little bit. And, you know, you can see that it's starting to have a toll. And I'll never forget the day that I was just outside cutting the grass. And I remember appreciating that uh, nice, warm, fresh summer breeze coming through and that smell of fresh cut grass. And my little brother comes running out of the house and he goes, Caleb, Caleb, dad fell. We can't get him up. And I threw the lawnmower onto the ground and I go sprinting inside the house. And uh, my father, the, the man that I love more than anyone in the world, the man that I admired, who I thought was perfect, you know, despite everything, um, is just sitting on the ground, kind of leaning up against one of the chairs in our living room. And he's not even coherent. I mean, he's got this glossed over look in his eye. And um, that was the day that it really hit me that, wow, this is this is happening. Up until then, it didn't feel real, but this was going to happen. Um, and from then on, it just got worse, you know, time and time. And, um, we ended up having to get a, uh, a hospice bed in the house because he was adamant that he did not want to die in a hospital. He wanted to die with his family, um, at home. And, you know, as grateful as we were for that, that's a, an incredibly tough thing to see, um, to watch the person that you idolize slowly 
kind of deteriorate in front of your eyes. Um, and it was, it was tough on absolutely everybody. Um, got worse and worse. And, you know, I don't want to go too far into it, but, uh, you know, obviously cancer is, is a very painful thing. So, uh, they had a morphine machine brought in, um, that he could click a button and every 15 minutes, if you click the button, um, he would get a little shot of morphine just to kind of, uh, make him comfortable for as long as we could. Um, and then in the middle of the night, he would, you know, kind of slip into a bit of a coma and pass out, but he would shake with pain. So I used to sneak out into the living room where the hospice bed was, and I'd lay with him all night. And I'd click that button as much as I could uh, just to see if I could get him kind of comfortable through the night. Um, I don't have to think my mom knows that. <laughs> she always put me to bed, told me to stay, and I never did. Um, but um, I'm sorry, it's kind of hard to talk about yet, but, you know, I haven't shared yeah, this. Take, take, take your time. Yeah. Um, and, and it just got a little bit worse every day, but, you know, you wake up every day and then, uh, you know, we'd have a conversation and, you know, it was kind of over the summertime. So it was, you know, kind of towards the tail end of June. Um, and then one day he stopped waking up altogether. Um, woke up that morning, wanted to say hello and, you know, uh, ask him, you know, how he was doing before I, I went outside to shoot hoops with my little brother or, you know, do something else. And, and he just didn't wake up. Um, and that was the, the last day, just the day before that he, he never woke up again. Um, and eventually on July 10th, 2011, uh, myself at 14 years old and my little brother at 11 years old, um, our father passed away from cancer. And that was the hardest moment of my entire life. There'll be, there'll never be anything in my life that comes even close to that. That is the sourest, most bitter lemon that life could have thrown at me. And for a long time, it completely destroyed me. Um, and I mean, I, I don't blame myself for, uh, you know, what, what I did after that, just because I mean, 14 years old, what do you, how are you going to handle that? Um, I took up drinking at a very, very young age. Um, you know, and I was hiding a lot of things and just self-destructive tendencies and staying out late. And I went through on and off periods. I always did well in school and I always could do well in school. And then there were periods where I said, screw it. I don't want to do any of this stuff. And I just didn't do anything and went out drinking every night, skipping school, doing this, doing that. And it, it was just a lot of self-destructive tendencies um, on and off for the better part of four or five years. Um, and And that's when I started to kind of realize that is this the way that I want my life to go? Yes, I had this horrible tragedy happen. Yeah, no one can blame me for what I'm doing because it's just something that most people can't imagine is losing someone like that in that way at such a young age. But I said, is this the man that I want to be? And I kind of remember a little bit of an epiphany moment. Um, and it doesn't happen all at once, but there's one moment. I think I was 19 years old. And I was managing a, a local pizza place. Um, and every night I was going out, uh, there was a bar kind of in the same plaza. Um, and I would go out and I'd finish my shift and I'd go get drunk at the bar and I'd go home and I'd get back early in the morning to, to work at the restaurant. And I'd, uh, you know, do the same thing five, six, seven nights a week. And then I remember waking up and I didn't really remember the last four months of working at this place. 
I, yeah, I kind of remembered a few moments mm-hmm. and everything, but for the most part, I, I like to draw a lot of experiences and I like to remember those kinds of things. And I, I couldn't remember almost anything from four months. And that was the moment that I realized, wow, this, this is something that could destroy my life if I don't make a change. So on that day, I decided, okay, I need to start taking steps to, to change and try and turn something into a better situation. So, so on that day, well, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, so, so kind of in that moment, it sounds like that was probably one of the lowest points for you. Um, kind of reflecting on that now, what do you think would have been worst case scenario if that epiphany hadn't happened? Like, where do you think things would have ended up? Yeah, I, well, I've, I've seen where it, it's ended up with a lot of other people. And, and that's what truly terrified me um, more than anything is that I could have woken up. So I, I think most people have that epiphany at some point or another. A lot of people, you know, realize it 50, 60, 70 years old, uh, a whole life having gone by, uh, wasted away that you can't remember almost any of it. I mean, I think a worst case scenario um, you know, I never really did experiment with drugs. That was one thing that I just never really touched. Um, but I was, I was right on the edge. I had been offered, uh, Coke a few times and I had thought about doing it. And, you know, I had some friends who did heroin and, you know, a lot of harder drugs like that, that I think if I hadn't have thought the way I did at that moment, I might've been dead right now. That, that path of self-destruction would have either killed me or completely ruin the rest of my life. So it was very, very awakening. And I'm so fortunate that I had that moment because who knows where I'd be if I didn't. Yeah. So anyway, as, as of that day, I, I realized I was like, Hey, you know what? I kind of talked to myself in the mirror because you got to address yourself somehow. <laughs> and I said, you know what, man, I don't know if you're better than this or not, but we're going to try. And so that day I stopped drinking. Um, I stopped uh, drinking soda just to try and get a, a healthier point in my life. I was drinking, you know, half a half a case of soda a day um, and, and things like that. And I went through some major withdrawal symptoms um, while I was working, especially cutting off both those things at the same time, which is not always the healthiest thing to do. But I wanted to prove to myself that I wasn't dependent on it, and I don't believe that I was uh, necessarily an alcoholic, but I was dependent on that in a major way. So I I know that alcoholism is not something that you can just stop. It's not something that most people can wake up and say, Hey, I'm done drinking today. Um, but you know, I definitely was dependent on it, but that day I said, you know what, that's, that's it. So I went uh, three months sober just to prove to myself that I could working in the restaurant industry. I always had dreams of, uh, being, um, you know, a professional in that space. And to do that, you do have to essentially consume alcohol and be knowledgeable about it. So I didn't introduce that back into my life until I was sure that I could handle it. And since then, I mean, yeah, everyone has gotten drunk from time to time, but it's not something that I ever drink for. I don't drink for a release or to relax. I don't come home at the end of the day and have a cocktail because I know that that's not something that I can handle. I drink to create cocktails. I drink to share experiences with people and I create to share experiences with people. But that was the day that I started to, to turn it all around. Um, and, and I'm so thankful that I did. And then just to kind of loop it 
back around essentially is, you know, it, it all stemmed from my father passing away. And I knew that's what it was. Everyone knew that that's what it was. Everyone knew that's the reason that, you know, I was out drinking at night and that's the reason that I was out partying and essentially trying to escape my life. But anytime you're trying to escape the life that you've been given, you know, it, it's a good sign that something has to change. Um, I could either sit and continue to feel sorry for myself and continue on my path of self-destruction, or I could decide to leave that behind and do whatever I could to try to make my father proud of me. And it was a long and arduous process, and it is by no means done. It'll be something that I work on for the rest of my life. It's not something that I can ever finish. But I decided I wanted to turn my life around, and it didn't happen all at one time. I mean, if it would, that'd be a miracle. <laughs> there are good days and bad days, moral struggles and physical struggles, and there are still good days and bad days. But I took it one day at a time, and I can proudly say that I'm no longer the man I was. I'm well on my way to being the man that I want to be, and I'd like to think that I'm someone that my father could be proud of now. After seeing everything that you've gone through and put together and the additional stuff you'll end up sharing, I, I can honestly say that I feel that he'd be very proud of the man you've become and where you're headed in the future. Thank you very much. That that really means a lot to me to hear. Um, and I, I have a lot of, and I'll share it in a little bit, but I've had a lot of uh, family friends uh, who you know knew my father very well, and they're all saying that he, he would be very proud of who I am, and, and that means more to me than anything else possibly could. Um, so I'm, I'm so thrilled that I was able to try and, you know, turn this lemon situation that, that life had given me and, and use that to try and turn myself into a better person, um, you know, and, and try to make myself someone that he would be proud of. And I am by no means saying that I'm a better person because he passed away. That is something that uh, people have actually asked me before. And it's something that uh, I think is just a, a weird thing to ask somebody <laughs> are you a better yeah. person you know because he did that are you a more driven person because he he passed away and I was, you know I, I think i'd be a better person for sure if he was here you know not growing up with a, a father figure it's a tough thing um but you know you're you're given a hand and you can either fold and give up or you can play the hand that you're dealt and do everything that you can and try and turn what you've been given into some lemonade Thank you for sharing that very personal experience with us. I, I know there's probably a lot of people who have gone through a similar situation, losing a father or a mother and may not know how to deal with it. So seeing that you kind of you, your process of going to kind of rock bottom and being able to rebuild yourself from that and having that realization and that epiphany moment hopefully will inspire other people if they are kind of in that downward spiral. Hey, we, we got to stop the way that we're treating ourselves. It's time to get back up and strive to be the person that our loved ones know we can be. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like I said, it's not something that's ever going to happen overnight. And I mean, for anyone who's, who's listening to the podcast, this is not something that you can just sit down and do. And the next day you've done it and it's great. Bad days are going to happen. And, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a family figure passing away from cancer um, I mean, it could be losing a, a friend to an OD. It could be something like losing your dog. Um, you know, it, it, these are all terrible experiences. And I do want to share real quick one thing that just uh, drives me absolutely crazy. And I wish this phrase would go away is, oh, well, you know, don't feel bad. It could be so much worse. 
oh, it could be, you know, other people have it worse. Other people are in worse situations. And that never made sense to me because just because someone else is in a bad situation or they're feeling bad too, means that you're not allowed to feel bad. Your feelings are valid and it's okay to feel bad and to have negative reactions to certain things. I mean, there are people out there who, uh, you know, they, they get a B on an assignment, you know, we'll throw it back to school. Um, they get a B instead of an A, and there's so much pressure on them to always get A's that they get a B, and they immediately go down self-destructive tendencies and, and paths that uh, lead nowhere. And, oh, you know, other people have it worse. It's just to be. It's just to be. It's okay to feel bad like that for whatever situation you're in. No one should be disrespected or invalidated just because you feel bad and someone else has it worse. There's always someone who has it worse. By that logic, only one person in the world is allowed to feel bad, and I feel bad for that guy. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like that's a great message. I feel like a lot of the stuff with social media and the way that people kind of portray their lives, they're, they're trying to show only the happy stuff. And people who are struggling or have harder times kind of get swept under the rug or like you said, oh, hey, somebody's got it worse. So just take with what you've got and be quiet type thing. So I I love that your your kind of frame and your mindset of it's okay when you go through these kinds of situations to grieve and ask for help and have that struggle. It's all part of the growing and learning process. Absolutely. And I mean, there's the, the first thing, the first step in making lemonade is realizing that you've got lemons. And if someone is telling you that the lemons in your hand are apples, that's not helping you at all. (laughs) you know you have to realize that you have a lemon okay i've been served a lemon and that's okay it's going to happen it may have already happened it's happening now and it's going to happen again it's not something that life will ever stop giving you is lemons realize you've got a lemon do whatever you can to make lemonade we we've kind of talked a lot about your lemon moment kind of your past where you've come from um, so let's kind of turn that into how you were able to take your lemon moment and kind of what has been your lemonade and what does that process look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, just a, a little bit of background as well. Um, so I've been in the, the restaurant industry my whole life. Uh, I've been around it since I was about 12 years old. Um, and it's actually a very funny story. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm the owner of Iron Duck Restaurant in, uh, Howard, Wisconsin, just north of Green Bay. Um, and the previous uh, name of this uh, restaurant was Boxcar Billers. Um, if you remember, that was where my father uh, was the head cook as I was growing up. So I grew up in this restaurant, uh, you know, with the previous owner, and I grew up with his kids. And I went through uh, hunter safety with uh, the owner's son, and I was very, very close in this specific building. Um, so I, I just kind of grew up in this area, and I grew up specifically here. Um, and then. My father, uh, before he passed away, had had said, Caleb, I never want you to be three things. You can do these three things for me. Don't do these things. I said, okay. said, never be a musician, never be a cook, and never be a mechanic. I like like music, cooking, and cars. Sorry, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my first job that I got when I was 16, I was washing dishes, uh, at a little, uh, Greek bakery, uh, cafe in De Pere. Um, and then from there, I, 
did posting at a Brett Favre Steakhouse, and I held a, a multitude of jobs there. And ever since I started at 16 years old with my first official job, um, because we all were unofficially before that. <laughs> um, Don't tell was, anyone that. <laughs> has had uh, something to do uh, with restaurants. You know, I've spent time in other avenues, and uh, I spent time as a uh, industrial crate manufacturer. Um, I spent time as a, a corporate recruiter for a, a major customer service corporation. Um, and I have done a couple of little one-off jobs in between. But even while I was working those jobs, I was still working weekends, nights, in restaurants, bartending, hosting, busing, uh, you know, food exploring, cooking, doing whatever I could. I just, I loved that industry. And for a long time, I thought that I was going to go to school for sound engineering and music production. Um, right out of high school, uh, when I was kind of still in, in my lemon moment, for sure, you know, and my, my lemon moment, I'm just going to say lasted five years. It was a terrible lemon moment. <laughs> um, uh, I had signed up uh, for a school out in Phoenix uh, called the a conservatory of recording arts and sciences and there was uh, a two-year wait list to to get in and so i signed up um and i had started working towards that for two years um i'd gone to college uh once uh, the first time right out of high school lived with my grandparents worked on our family farm um and uh, went to go get just an associates in general studies so i had a little bit of uh, schooling under my belt um mm-hmm. ended up being one english class one credit away from graduating that degree. Um, and I, fun fact, I still don't have it, <laughs> but that, that's what I was working towards. I was saving up some money. I was, I was planning on going out to Phoenix, um, and all the while working in restaurants and loving every second of it. I mean, and, and I did not work necessarily always for the best people. I had stuff thrown in my head. I got yelled at, I got, you know, it, it wasn't always a good situation, but I loved it. I just love that atmosphere, that intensity, that fire, that passion. Um, and so, uh, you know, two years had kind of gone by and I was all ready to, to fly out to Phoenix. And I flew out with my mom and we went to check out an apartment out there and to see the school and to sign uh, the official promissory notes and everything like that. Loved it out there. Absolutely beautiful. Um, signed the promissory note, promised them all my money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> back. And then it was one week before I was supposed to start classes in Arizona. I'm sitting uh, on my couch uh, at my mom's house in Depeer, and I just happened to pick up the paper. I never really read the paper. I get most of my you know news information online, social media, you know whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. really picking up the paper that day, and I read a glowing uh, review article about the sound engineer for the band Cheap Trick, and he was 60 years old and. Uh, he had lived his whole life with the band, always touring around with them and being a sound engineer. You know, it was a super positive article, uh, you know, really just uh, giving the whole life story of this guy and how accomplished he was. But when I read that article, the way I read it was, and they, they talked about him wanting to have a music production studio in Nashville and that he uh, just, just didn't get there. Uh, but he had loved what he had done. And, and to me, when I read that, it wasn't. Uh, a super positive story to me. I mean, this guy was happy doing what he did, but to me, my dream was to start as a sound engineer and eventually own a music production studio. And wow, essentially this guy lived his life for uh, 40 years doing the same thing and, and was never able to move up that ladder and keep going. And you know, sound engineers don't make a lot of money. You don't have a, a stable, like one homestead that you can stay at most of the time. And you're always touring and things like that. 
um, depending on what kind of sound engineering you do. Um, and I, I just stopped and I thought, and I said, is this the kind of life that I want? Is this what I want to do for the rest of my life, knowing that I might try and try and try and never make it to where I want to go? And it was at that moment that I decided that music production, writing music, singing, playing guitar, you know, all that kind of stuff, that was a hobby to me and not a career. And so one week before I was supposed to start classes, I had already promised them all my money. I called up the admissions rep and I said, hey, Marnie. Uh, she was fantastic, super, super nice lady. I loved working with her. Um, huge shout out to the school out there. Um, but I called her up and I was like, hey, she was like, hey, Caleb, are you all excited to, to start classes next week? I said, yeah, about that. I'm not coming. And she, she said, what? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to school there. Said, well, Caleb, you already signed all your promises. I said, you can keep my money if you have to. Uh, that is something that I just, I decided that that wasn't going to be it. Um, and, and school was very, very nice. They found someone to fill my spot. I got all my money back. Um, you know, it, it was fantastic. But then I found myself wondering, what do I do now? <laughs> um, you know, I was still kind of going through some self-destructive tendencies, but I was starting to work on myself and I was starting to get a little bit better. Um, you know, I took a job as a, a corporate recruiter um, just to figure out something that I was going to do. Um, tried to take that one English class that I needed, uh, <laughs> finish my degree and ended up, uh, not doing it because I was like, well, corporate recruiting, this has got to come first. This is my career. This is what I'm going to do. And uh, I ended up having a, well, I should say that the company ended up having a falling out with me. It was a lot of broken promises and, and misled uh, agreements and whatnot um, that I ended up um, making not even enough money to survive. Well, all my coworkers who I was oftentimes leading uh, were making three, four, 10 times as much as I was. Um, and they just kind of refused to, to do anything else for me. So I ended up leaving and I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do? And then someone it, said, well, it, not to cut you off, but through yeah, all of this kind of what age range are you as this is happening? So you were supposed to fly out to Phoenix. You're not in corporate recruiting kind of in your timeline. Where is that at age wise? Yeah. Yeah. So I was supposed to fly out to Phoenix, I think at the end of my 19th year. Um, so I was tail end 19 um decided not to go and and i it honestly my timeline kind of blurs together i always worked <laughs> yep. four or five six jobs in a year and oftentimes i like to go back to to those jobs i worked for essentially four years at brett Favre steakhouse slash hall of fame chop house that a name changed kind of at the tail end that they were open there um but really it was four seasons where i had worked one football season i took you know time off and i did other things well then i came back for the next football season i did something else and, you know uh like gotcha. that, say, uh you know kind of 19 i decided i wasn't going to go to school out there um and that was kind of when i had started to wake up and realize uh that you know i i have to make a change in my life and so kind of almost in cohesion with me deciding hey you know what we need to uh, stop drinking. We need to stop these self-destructive tendencies was me realizing, Hey, listen, I don't think this is it. Music production. I love it, but I think I might love it for five years and then I'll hate my life. It <laughs> <laughs> was a place I wanted to be. <laughs> that, I mean, that's better to find out before you go out there and kind oh, of commit absolutely. to it. Once again, I, I like to, I, I don't believe in luck necessarily because I believe it decreases the merit of a man. Um, it's actually a quote from one of my favorite TV shows, Kitchen Confidential, one season canceled. It's a world tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> but luck decreases the merit of a man. I believe that 
you know, you might be put in some fortunate situations sometimes, but ultimately it's up to you to make those decisions and decide whether or not to, to take an opportunity. Um, and so I've been, uh, you know, fortunate that I've realized when to take those opportunities and when to not take them uh, at some very pivotal points in my life. So 19 years old, you know, I decided not to go at about 20 years old. I was working for Red Farm Steakhouse and I was uh, corporate recruiting, um, which I mean, I, I almost never tell people my age ever just because I get <laughs> it so often. I don't mind telling them after I've worked with them for a couple of months and they're treating me like a professional and they, they understand me in that business professional sense. But when I tell someone how old I am, like if I'm 20 years old and I'm going to uh, another major corporation and I'm trying to negotiate a deal or when I have a meeting with uh, the lieutenant in charge of the Huber Law Work Release Program and I am uh, negotiating a deal so that Huber Law Work Release inmates can have a good, stable job guaranteed when they get out. Um, and I tell them I'm 20, they don't want to talk to me anymore. They mm -hmm. say, hey, where's your boss? Hey, where's someone who's got 10, 20 years experience on you? But if I work with them for two months and they're extremely happy with the results, and then I say, oh, by the way, I'm 20. Oh my gosh, well, that's crazy. Well, in any case, keep doing what you're doing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's kind of something that I've, I've struggled with a little bit, but um, not in a major way. But anyway, um, had been working there, you know, left the, the corporate recruiting scene, uh, and I, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And someone had said, hey, you've been in restaurants your whole life. And, and I had never really given it a second thought because my dad had just said, hey, don't be a cook. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what about restaurants? And I, I stopped and I thought about it for a second. He said, you know, I think I think that might be it. I think that might be where I could excel. And this this might be more of a career to me. Um, and it's it's a tough career for sure. But I said, OK, well, maybe this is it. And then the same day I was scrolling through Facebook and you know how Facebook always seems to read your mind. Uh, I saw <laughs> yep. an ad for Fox Valley Technical College uh, for their culinary arts program. Um, and I said, well, dang, this, this might be kind of cool. So I went and took a meeting. I ended up enrolling and uh, going to school for culinary arts and hospitality management. All the while still working, um, I ended up doing uh, a couple of internships uh, in Door County um, that I, I had a connection up there that my boss at Fredford Steakhouse, her husband is uh, essentially, a, I mean, to me, a nationally renowned chef. He had a restaurant out in LA and he was featured in Food and Wine magazine. And uh, he, he went to some very prestigious schools and he's done some very prestigious things. Um, and, he, and he's just a fantastic man. Um, Lord Sutchinson, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for everything you've done for me. Um, <laughs> but ended up working up there. And that was my first real experience with uh, high-end proper food. Everything was made to order. I mean, we were making soup to order. Like, we didn't wow. make it in the morning. We made it every time someone ordered it. It was the, the freshest possible ingredients that you could possibly get. Um, in a style that was awesome. It was all small plate ethnic food. I got to experience all different kinds of cultures, foods. And uh, eventually I worked my way up to a, a sous chef position there. Um, and, and it was just fantastic. So I was going to school. I was doing that. I was doing this, you know, and, and doing all these things. I had taken a job at a hotel Northland in the off season because Door County is really just a summer destination. There's a whole lot going on and, yep. in the middle of the day <laughs> and I had school. So I took a job opening up Hotel Northland um, with a couple of uh, friends of mine that I had known invited me over there and uh, working at Republic Chop House. 
um, as well as going to school. So I think, and I've always been a bit of a workaholic, but I would get up at 5 a.m. to be at Hotel Northland for 5.30, 6 o'clock. And admittedly, I will admit this, that I would roll in a couple of minutes late sometimes, sometimes late. <laughs> because I'd be there ideally for 6 o'clock, ready to go, serve breakfast service. At about 10.30, most of the time, I would have to go downstairs from their first restaurant to their second restaurant and do part of their lunch service. Um, right after that, I maybe had 30 minutes of a break, and then I would go across the street to Republic Chop House, and I would work their dinner service. And then I would go home at night, usually anywhere between 9 and 11 o'clock uh, at night, and I'd do my homework. And then I'd get up, I'd do it all over again. I worked four or five days a week doing that. And then the other days that I was off, I was in school full time. Um, that is incredible that you were able to balance that kind of a schedule while I, still I doing school. Well, I mean, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes uh, you know, I will, I'll be the first to admit that I wasn't always at my A game at, you know, some of those jobs, especially at the end of a, uh, you know, 16 hour day. And I'm exploring on the line at Republic Chop House and what garnish goes on this plate again? Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I had a great time with it. Um, and that's when this opportunity came around. Um, and it, it was something that I absolutely couldn't pass up. I, I had made a lot of great connections over the years. And this is actually my third attempt to purchase a restaurant um, is Iron Duck. Um, the first one was the first restaurant that I ever worked at. I had spoken with the owner. She was looking to sell it. Uh, and just financially, it didn't end up working out. Um, and I was too inexperienced. I thought I was... 18, 19 years old at that time when when she when I had approached her about it, we had started talking about it. And she was more than willing to to do it with me, but at 18, 19 years old, I'm still you know on a self-destructive path to try and understand uh, you know purchasing a major asset like that. It was something I wasn't ready for, and I realized that. I said no, I passed on it. Um, a little bit later, I was in culinary school, kind of at the beginning. I had met a restaurant owner out in Marshfields. Uh, he owned a supper club out there, and he was looking to get out, and he wanted to work out a deal that I would slowly end up taking over that restaurant. Amazing potential right next to the Mayo Clinic out there, uh, but I didn't know anybody in Marshfield. I had no support over there, um, and again, I didn't feel quite ready. All of a sudden, I hear through the grapevine uh, from my older brother. So I, I've got three siblings. I've got my, my younger brother, and then I've got a, a half-brother and a half-sister, both uh, older than me by about 20 years. Um, and my older brother, who's always worked in the restaurant circuit his whole life, I mean, he must have been doing restaurants since he was 14. He's got almost 30 years in it now. Um, he's fantastic. He calls me up. He says, hey, did you hear Boxcar Billy? Uh, Boxcar Billy's is looking to sell. I said, oh, come on. Billy's been looking to sell that place for 10 years. <laughs> no, he's never put it on the market. He's never done anything like that. And I said, no, if, if this is true, that, that'd be cool as hell to get into the place that, you know, I grew up in. And my dad ran the kitchen for almost 10 years. And, you know, my older brother worked at it. It's just a cornerstone kind of in this community. Um, I said, okay, so I called Billy up and I hadn't talked to him in a couple of years. I said, hey, Billy, how's it going? I said, I hear you're looking to sell. He said, what's it to you? <laughs> I said, uh, well, you know, I might be interested in all honesty. And he goes, well, if you're serious about this, I'll give you all the book work, all the information that I have. I'll, I'll be 100% transparent. We might be able to talk about this. I said, that'd be absolutely fantastic. So we start going through a couple of meetings and 
start taking a, a look over the books and, and all the financial documents and everything like that. And I, I look at it and I say, you know what? This makes sense. It's the first deal I've looked at so far that just made sense. It was in an area that I had a lot of support in. Um, I had a lot of friends in this area. It's where I grew up. People knew this restaurant. People knew me. This is something that could work. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, Billy, I don't know how, but I'm going <laughs> to buy this restaurant. <laughs> and he goes, it's, it's your loss, man. Because uh, <laughs> uh, if you're looking to make money, necessarily, restaurants are not always the best uh, way to get there. And you never make money in a restaurant unless you're really working at um, So I said, no, no, I, I want this, though. This is something that I want to do. I'm going to do it. I don't have any money, <laughs> but I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> so my little brother uh, and I had worked together a little bit at Hotel Northland. Uh, my little brother was dishwashing, and uh, he had uh, became pretty close with uh, the chef de cuisine for one of the restaurants there. He was, he was running one of the restaurants, Adam Hubshire. Um, and Adam calls me up one night, and this is when I was working Hotel Northland Republic Chop. I was school full time. I'm, you know, doing meetings with Billy. I'm trying to plan a restaurant and, you know, get a, a business plan together and all this stuff. And I, I'm not sleeping at all. And, <laughs> yep. you know, just a lot of coffee, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way to survive. Yeah, right. Just, just trying to make it through every day. Uh, but it was exciting, you know, and that's where people, oh, you're going to get burnt out. I was like, how am I going to get burnt out? I'm so excited about this. You know, I get recharged going to work every day. That's what's driving me. And to have a passion like that, I'm very thankful for. Um, and so Adam calls me up one night, I think at midnight, because that's the only time that we were both free, because he was working, you know, just as many hours as I was. Uh, he says, hey, how's it going? I said, oh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Long time no see. You know, he's like, hey, so I, I, I hear you're looking to uh, buy a boxcar billies. I said, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a plan to me. You know, I've been trying to do it, trying to figure it out. He's like, well, how do you feel about a partner? I said, man, I would love a partner. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not have to worry about certain aspects of the restaurant, that it's not all on my shoulders uh, is, would have been a fantastic feeling. So uh, he came over, uh, I think at midnight or one o'clock, you know, some other time that week. And obviously meetings that later filled with tequila. Um, (laughs) We're sitting there, we're talking about it. He goes, well, did you know that I ran Boxcar Billy's Kitchen for three years? I said, are you me? (laughs) That's exact words that came out of my mouth. I was like, my dad ran that kitchen for almost 10 years. He's like, well, right after your dad left, that's when I took over. I said, oh my God, this is, this is just crazy. And then we keep finding all these small world situations that my mom was his sixth grade teacher. And we've always lived like a mile down the street from each other, never knew it and just never met until he, and then he had flown out to Colorado and came back. We ended up working at the same hotel and it's, it's just one of those crazy small world situations. So, uh, he ended up, uh, or I should say, we ended up uh, coming to an agreement and, uh, we decided to move forward as co-owners uh, or attempted co-owners. Of this <laughs> um, and so this is this is kind of the first struggle, the, the first lemon, essentially. It's a small lemon, but uh, how do you purchase a, a restaurant with no money? Uh, <laughs> that's a, I, I could see where that might be a little bit of a challenge. A bit of a challenge, I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we start uh, doing you know a bunch of research, putting together uh, business plans and, you know, potential ways for operating and, and how to possibly buy this, this restaurant and contacting investors and trying to build capital and, and everything else. And, you know, we, we've just always worked really well together, um, in that regard. And it ended up that Adam's uncle, uh, 
Scott Van owns Narrow Bridge in Howard and Plank Road Pub and Grill in De Pere. Mm -hmm. So we've gotten to sit down and we've talked with him a little bit about he was able to to get these restaurants uh, without having a, a ton of money. Um, and so we, we kind of developed a, a bit of a way that we were able to maybe offer some form of deal that was going to be beneficial to both parties. I'm not going to go into the specifics of it, um, but we, we brought this deal, this deal to Billy and I thought for sure he was just going to say, not a chance. You know, I want <laughs> this money up front. Like if you don't have the money, get out, you know, and he looked it over. He said, well, I have to take it to my accountants, but you know what? I think this is something that we could do. I said, holy are we buying a restaurant? <laughs> it was like this crazy moment. And uh, we had a gentleman, Pat Ryan, who came in to kind of uh, negotiate the deal with us, you know, to make sure it was uh, going to be a good deal on both sides. We drew up the paperwork and everything. And then uh, uh, we purchased a restaurant in November of 2019. And we were ecstatic. I mean, we got to do the food that we wanted to do. It's, you know, American contemporary comfort food. It's all just really as fresh as we can make everything and as, uh, you know, delicious and high end as we can do things while having it be in an affordable price range for everybody. So it could be a daily hangout where, you know, our, most of our drink prices are cheaper than the dive bars. And, you know, you can come in and get a full meal and drink and tip for $20. Um, and that's perfect. Uh, so we, we thought we were doing great. You know, next lemon was we needed to open ASAP because, like I said, we didn't have any money. So <laughs> to really, uh, you know, try and operate a restaurant without a whole lot of funds is a challenge. You know, we, we had a little bit of money kind of set aside for operating expenses and things like that, but there wasn't much there. Um, so really, we broke it down. We had about a month to open. And when you're talking about purchasing a restaurant and completely changing that restaurant, I mean, you things people don't even think of you know i mean we put in new flooring uh little bits of remodeling got all new tabletops silverware chinaware deep cleaning new equipment uh you know hiring on staff and this and that and the next thing and, and to, to make all that happen in a month seemed an impossible task but i think impossibility is all about your perspective and you know i was always raised with a very strong work ethic and, and a lot of my idols uh you know, grant cardone Robert kiyosaki some of these uh, big sales guys, real estate guys. Um, you know, it, it's not about something being impossible. It's about doing whatever you can to make it happen. Just got to make it happen somehow. And Billy had his last day of service, November 23rd, 2019. We opened for our first day of service on December 27th of 2019. Uh, and we had done three Christmas parties in that time, in between that month, somehow. <laughs> we had done a, a bunch of renovating and all of a sudden we opened for our soft opening. Um, and it was the best feeling in the world. I, I will always remember those days, uh, incredibly well. And it was amazing. We had done it. We opened a restaurant. It was busy, you know, at the start there. I mean, even in January, we had a, a good amount of people coming in Fridays and Saturdays, especially were packed. Uh, you know, we had long wait times. It was awesome. Couldn't have been higher on top of that mountain. So excited to move forward. Then we're open for a couple of months. And as we are all still familiar with, here comes COVID. <laughs> Could not have been a worse time to open a restaurant. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? So uh, we were open, like I said, we opened officially for our first day of service. Uh, besides our soft opening on January 2nd, right around the end of February, all of a sudden this news comes out. Oh, man, 
COVID's coming around and this, that, and the next thing. And everyone's laughing about it because they're thinking, oh, it's like the flu or it's like this or it's like that. You know, it's not going to change life almost at all. Whatever. Uh, yeah, it changed life. That's for sure. We're all joking about it at the end of February. All of a sudden, second week of March rolls around. And uh, March 14th, they say, hey, we are going to be restricting capacity. Uh, you know, we're going to be doing some changes just to try to stop the spread of COVID. And, you know, we're going to do whatever we can to, to try and stop this. But the governor said, you know, by no means blaming anyone in particular, you know, I'm going to keep political affiliation out of this. That's for your own personal whatever. That's not that kind of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> State government had said that they didn't want to close down restaurants. Fantastic. It's be open, you know, even on a, a partial capacity. That's fine as long as we've still got a little bit of money coming in. Because like I said, we're a new business. We had, you know massive bills to pay and all of a sudden you're telling me that i'm gonna have to work on 50 percent capacity well we'll do what we can so march 14th rolls around we deal with that march 17th that was a damn lemon <laughs> uh, <laughs> march 17th saint patty's day we assume that we're going to be open all restaurants in wisconsin assume that we're going to be open so naturally everyone's doing saint patty's day specials I mean, we must have had got to be almost 100 pounds of corned beef. We had a bunch of shepherd's pie ready to go, a couple of drink features ready. But we had prepped out a lot of food for this just because St. Patty's Day is a big day in the restaurant industry and in the bar scene. I mean, oh, yeah, definitely. Bad. Everyone's Irish on St. Patty's Day. You know, that's how it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we're ready to go. Lunch was all right, and we were ready to hit that dinner rush, ready to go. All of a sudden, at 2 p.m., after everything is prepped out, I'm pretty sure we had just finished cooking everything off. We get a call saying that all restaurants and bars and taverns are required to immediately close their doors at 5 p.m. on St. Patty's Day. Wow. Here we were just on top of the mountain, <laughs> and now we have to close, and we've got all this food prepped out. We have a, a cooler full of food in preparation for St. Patty's Day in that weekend. Uh, you know, got extra alcohol ordered. You know, we've got extra inventory. You know, all this food that all of a sudden we can't sell. So now here's where life, I think, comes down to a series of choices. And a lot of it's about perspective. Okay. You look at the situation. Wow. This sucks. And it does. There's no way around that. It sucks. And, and you know, I still consider us uh, a little more fortunate than others. Uh, I know a couple of supper clubs who cooked up a thousand pounds of corned beef, a thousand pounds of shepherd's pie. And then they're sitting on massive, massive amounts of food that they can't use anymore. And so most of them ended up donating it to, to food shelters and things like that, um, which is fantastic. But we're sitting here and we're like, oh, God, you know what? What do we do about it? Time to make a choice. Do we get all sad and upset? Do we give up? Do we throw on the towel all of a sudden we close? That's it. Or do we do whatever the hell we can to try and make the best out of this situation? I heard that news. I took two minutes. I made a decision. We're going to make the best out of this situation. And so I called up. Everybody I knew, I put posts out all over on social media. I said, free food for anyone who comes in and spends money on drinks. That's it. They bought one drink. If they bought one soda, I don't care. You're getting some free food. You don't have to <laughs> stay in what you're getting. But you're getting free food. I'm not about to give away all the, the ribeyes and the seafood and everything like that for free. But come in, free food, whatever. You know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes go by. Don't really have anyone in there. I was like, yeah, maybe it didn't work. 30 minutes after that, place is packed. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> fantastic. You know, this is a good way to help get rid of some of this food that we're not going to be able to 
to use as well as bring in that last little bit of additional income um, to try and help get us through what we were told at the time was a two week closure. So it's like, okay, well, you know, that, that works pretty well. And, you know, we, we did what we could with the, the food that we had. We tried to save much of it, but a lot of it actually can't be donated. Um, and a lot of it just had to get thrown away or like we, we tried to give it away to people and, you know, employees and whatnot say, Hey, you know, you need some groceries, whatever it is, you know, that we, we opened up to the public, whoever wanted a little bit of grocery could more than welcome to come get some. Um, we gave away most of it, but it was, it's a lot of wasted product that we're not making any money on anymore, but we paid for it. Now we sit and we decided to open up for takeout and delivery. Um, just because what else are you going to do? I mean, in business, it's adapt or die. If you're not changing with the times, if you're not staying relevant and consistent uh, with your relativity, you're, you're just not going to make it anymore. Um, so we say, okay, let's start takeout delivery. So we start doing that. And, you know, you start coming up with new ideas, new things to do. We couldn't afford to staff employees. We haven't been established in a community yet. How are we going to survive? And this is another situation where life didn't just serve me a lemon, but it was another big, sour bitter lemon. <laughs> but I had already made that decision that, you know what, lemons aren't going to get me down because there's always that opportunity, that potential for lemonade. Time to add some sugar. <laughs> <laughs> so you, like I said, you just keep going. You try to come up with new ideas. We could have just closed down and, and called it quits and say it's too hard or it's not worth it. But we use the time as productively as possible. You innovate new ideas, new cash flow opportunities. We started doing family style take and bake meals that, you know, we were doing wellingtons and chicken dinners uh, and enchilada dinners that uh, people would come in and it'd be 40, 50 bucks and I'd feed four or five people and you get this fantastic restaurant quality meal for 10 bucks a person uh, that you take home. And a lot of people really like that. We're going to keep doing that. Beyond that, I mean, we're about to uh, come out with our, our own line of coffee that I've been working with a uh, local roaster here in Ashwabanon. We've been carrying his coffee in the restaurant pretty much since we had started. Um, and he's just absolutely fantastic. Uh, Mitch Joseph at, at Village Roasters, you should definitely check him out. He's got some of the best coffee I've ever had. And he, uh, I actually had a, a buddy of mine who's a champion, uh, championship coffee judge. I don't know exactly how that works, but that's what he does. <laughs> Came in and tried the coffee. He said that's one damn good cup of coffee. So <laughs> Mitch doing a great job. Appreciate it. Um, but we had come up with a custom blend specifically for our restaurant. You can only get it here. We're about to start retailing it. And it's just one more avenue that We've got a little bit of extra time. Let's keep coming up with these ways mm -hmm. to make some more money. Yeah, I, I remember like following you guys on social media and seeing the take and bake meal options and they looked so amazing. If I was in Wisconsin, I totally would have came and got some, but I figured <laughs> you probably wouldn't ship cross country to Florida. <laughs> You know what? You know what? I'm sure we can work something out for that shipping. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you just, you keep hitting the social media marketing, doing, doing whatever you can um, to keep expanding, adapting and, and changing. Um, you know, you do a little bit of small renovation projects. I mean, we were able to renovate our men's bathroom for a little less than a hundred dollars. Um, little things like that, that you don't necessarily have to have a lot of money to do mm -hmm. small things that greatly improve, uh, you know, the look and the feel and just your restaurant um, or business in general. Um, on, on a personal note with everything that's going on with COVID and everything else, um, I just started reading as much as I could again, because I had, I had been reading for a long time and I, I love reading, especially these, um, books, like I said, Grant Cardone, Robert Kiyosaki, um, some of these greats who also had their lemon moments. I mean, 
Grand Cardone started, I mean, 25, broke, drug addicted, and homeless. And now I think he's got almost over a billion dollars in assets. And wow. He made his, his first uh, million dollar real estate deal, I want to say 30, 31 years old. Um, you know, and that's, that's a lemon moment. But to be able to idolize those people and learn from those kinds of people for a long time, obviously, when I was trying to do music, I, I grew up. Um, idolizing musicians, idolizing rock stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to be that guy. I want to shred the guitar. I want to go up there and scream in a microphone and make millions and millions of dollars. And that's something that will not happen for the vast majority of people. It's just like winning the lottery, and it's not something that you necessarily have a lot of control over. Just think about how many absolutely amazingly talented musicians that you know locally and how many that you know on a big scale, personally, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely. It's just not something that, that really happens. So that was when I decided to stop idolizing them. I still appreciate them. I love them. You know, and I, I think they're they're awesome and I love listening to their art. But I like to idolize the businessmen and the businesswomen because that's something that I have control over. It's something that I can learn and utilize in my everyday life, both in business and personal life. So I started reading as much as I could um, to be you know a better person and a better business owner. Um, and when am I going to get another opportunity after purchasing a restaurant to sit down and read a book? I mean, <laughs> you know, I try <laughs> yeah. to for it, but you know, we're we're a new business and uh, trying to do as much as we can to to make it all happen. It's a lot. Life gave us a lemon, but it's all about perspective. Are you seeing it as a lemon, or are you seeing it as an opportunity for lemonade? Kind of going through all of this, reflecting and looking back. If you could go back to yourself during kind of your downward spiral, what piece of advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Well, there's a, there's a couple pieces of advice that I'd like to give um, to someone, you know, who is either going through something that I went through, going through something completely different. Maybe this will help you. I mean, if it helps even one person to listen to what I'm saying, I, I appreciate that and I hope it does. Um, but there's a couple of things that I'll, I'll try to sum them up here. Um, the first thing is life is all about choices and perspective. You're never going to make all the right choices. It is just not possible. Even the most successful people in the world, be it in business or personally, and that's, that's one thing. Success is not defined by the amount of money you have or the amount of things that you have. Success is a subjective idea, and every person has their own definition. Some people's idea of success is, uh, you know, having a, a home in the suburbs with a family and dogs and, you know, enough to save for retirement and retire at 65 and, and live out your days. For some people, it's owning a lot of fancy cars and it's, uh, you know, owning these, these massive businesses and being a multimillionaire. And for other people still, it's just having an apartment and a steady job to keep going every day. And none of those people are wrong. Every single one of them is right, because like I said, success is subjective. But the most successful people in the world, they make wrong choices all the time. The first thing that you have to understand is that you are not perfect. Nobody is perfect. And that wrong choices don't determine who you are. I like to say that a man is not defined by his mistakes, but by what he does to rectify them. It's not always about making the right choice. It's about understanding that you may have made the wrong choice, forgiving yourself, and doing whatever you can to either rectify it or make the right choice moving forward. Forgiveness is 
one of the hardest things for people to to do it's something especially self-forgiveness you can forgive somebody else you can i mean that's something that comes a little bit more easily but to forgive yourself for a mistake or a wrong choice especially if you're a perfectionist like i i tend to be i tend to be my own worst critic and very very hard on myself and you know i made so many wrong decisions i made i made wrong decisions today it's just what happens um you know and you can either get down on yourself or you can say you know what yeah i made a wrong decision i'm human i'm a person it's going to happen and then okay if i made a wrong decision is it something i can rectify or is it something i learned from and i move on to to dwell on the past like that is not going to do you any favors and it is a very very hard thing to do i don't want to say this lightly but you have to learn to forgive yourself for mistakes and wrong choices because that's the only way you're going to get better and move forward um, the second thing that I want to talk about, um, I, that's all about choices, is, is now perspective. Your perspective on any given situation will change that situation completely. Again, uh, do you see lemons or do you see an opportunity for lemonade? You're introducing positivity and the mentality for success in your life if you change your perspective on any given obstacle. And that is just a massive deal. You'll find yourself, if you can start doing that slowly, little bit by little bit, seeing things not for exactly as they are, but for how they could be or something good that could come out of that situation. I mean, opening up a restaurant and having to shut down and not be able to serve anyone. Yeah, that sucks. But is it an opportunity to diversify, explore other avenues and, you know, find ways to, to give back to the community, to you know, help other people. And then also you're going to end up with all those things that you just implemented when you go to reopen again. All you're doing is bettering yourself every single day uh, down the line with your perspective change. Um, and I, I do want to reiterate to never feel bad about what you're going through. We talked about it a little bit before about that saying other people have it worked. It is one of the worst phrases in all of language, not just English, all of language. <laughs> um, just because someone else is hurting doesn't mean that you can. How is that justified? Like I said, if that was the case, only one person in the entire world would be allowed to feel bad or negative. It's okay to feel the way that you feel. And that is the first step in turning a lemon into lemonade is realizing that you have a lemon. And the last thing, and this is the hardest thing for for myself to learn is absolute ownership and just do it those are in insanely easy things to say and seemingly impossible things to do sometimes i learned absolute ownership working uh indoor county with the chef there and when i was working as a sous chef as a sous chef a sous chef oh geez anything <laughs> that happens wrong is your fault because you have to take ownership of that kitchen. You are the one who is attempting to run this kitchen, especially when the chef isn't there. But even when he's there, you are the one who is attempting to keep everything together. It doesn't matter what happens. If you know one of the line cooks burns a, a sauce, you say, I'm sorry, chef, that's that's my fault. I should have been keeping a closer eye. If you know something didn't get cleaned, I'm sorry, chef, I should have had that cleaned or I should have had someone clean it. And then you have to adapt that into everyday life. You know, oh, I, I didn't make... Uh, this deadline on time own up to that and take absolute ownership because that's the only way you're going to be able to get past it making excuses even though excuses may be valid 
aren't going to help you get over something or get better at anything. Take ownership. You know what? I missed this deadline. That's my fault. I'm sorry. And I'm going to do everything in my power to fix it and never let it happen again. The only way you get there to that end result is by taking ownership. So take ownership and then just do it. This is something that my mom has been telling me for a long, long time. And I never understood. Uh, I hope we don't get, uh, you know, trademark or copyright from Nike on this one. Um, <laughs> but just do it. I never understood. She said it to me as a, you know, a kid when I was going through hard times. Um, and I, I didn't want to go to school on the day. She was like, how do you, you know, I'm sick. I, I can't go to school when I'm sick. And she's like, you just do it. Oh, you know, I, I don't want to do the homework. You know, it doesn't make sense. You just do it. I thought about it. And that is a very, very profound three words when you think about it. The ability to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to do this, but you do it anyway and you just do it is, is something that is life changing. I mean, even this morning, you know, alarm went off at 6 a.m. And I did not want to get out of bed at all. <laughs> I was incredibly tired, uh, you know, completely drained. And it had been a long day yesterday. And I was like, man, you know, I, I killed for, you know, an extra couple hours of sleep. And then there was a little voice in the back of my mind that said, just do it. And just do it doesn't have to be about this this major overarching task. Um, you know, just do it. it. It's every second, every minute. You're saying, just do it. Okay. First thing I got to do, sit up in bed. That's all I have to do. Just do it. Cool. I sit up in bed. Next thing. All right. Got to pee. Go take a pee. <laughs> just go. Get up. Well, you're already in the bathroom. Yeah, better brush your teeth. Just do it. Well, you're here. You already brushed your teeth. Might as well wash your face. Just do it. And again, this is one of those things that it doesn't just happen in a day that all of a sudden you can do everything. And, and that's okay. And you have to understand that. But by trying a little bit more every day, every day, every day to be the best person that you can be and to just do it, it's going to help you immensely. So if I may sum up, life is about choices. Never going to make all the right choices. It's not possible. That's okay. And learn to forgive yourself for wrong choices. Have a good perspective on life and do everything you can to try to have the most positive perspective about absolutely anything. You might see it as a lemon, but you know what? You can also see it as lemonade and try and do that with absolutely every situation and practice with other people's situations. It's not always about making the right choices. It's okay to be imperfect. Take absolute ownership and just do it. I literally have goosebumps right now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Maybe you should change your career path and go into like motivational speaking and just put, put the cooking as a hobby. <laughs> Honestly, I, I did actually kind of want to start doing some motivational speaking, um, especially with like uh, like high schoolers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just because, you know, I, don't know, I like talking to people. So, <laughs> well, hopefully this platform will get you some exposure and be able to reach a wide audience of people that you can help even in a virtual sense. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So before we kind of start wrapping things up, is there any other last uh, piece of information or advice you'd have for anybody else going through this, these kinds of things? Take every day in as big a way as you can. What, what I mean by that is if it's about going from moment to moment, you go from moment to moment. If you can think about it day to day, go day to day. Say, ah, oh, it's one more day. But a lot of times it is too hard it is too 
you know, unfathomable to be able to take one whole day at a time, especially, and I, I did not go into this at all, um, you know, when my father passed away and everything else. And I, I had major, major depression. Um, it's not something I, I really talked about before. Um, it's not something that most people know about me, but some very, very major depression. One day seems an impossible task to just get out of bed. Seems like something that Superman would have to do. And it's okay to feel that way. And, you know, definitely, 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 you know, get some help or find us uh, some support or, or something like that. But last little bit of advice that I can give is don't feel like you have to do it alone. You are not alone in this world. There are 7.5 billion other people. And I never, ever pretend to understand what someone else is going through just because it's not something that I can understand. I haven't lived your life. I don't know you as a person. A lot of people I talk to who are struggling, they, I don't know them really at all. Yeah, you might have also lost a, a parent, but I don't understand how you feel about that. I only understand how I feel about that. That doesn't mean that you have to go through it alone. And people think it's it's a sign of weakness to to reach out and say they need some help. But, and this is the same thing in business and personal and in life, the strongest people are not the ones who can do everything alone. The strongest people are the ones who know when to reach out and ask for help. Those are the strongest people that I've ever seen. And I like to think that I'm, I'm starting to turn into one, but, you know, reaching out and asking for help it is still a hard thing for, for myself included. Um, it's a hard thing for everybody. It doesn't come naturally. We're all taught that you have to deal with things on your own and, oh, you'll just work through it. That's not the case. There are people out there to help you. Let them help you reach out. That's some true strength. I think that's a, kind of a great way to wrap all of this up. Um, before we end this episode officially, I have a challenge for you. Ooh. And I want to know if you're up to the challenge. Now, this came to me as an idea while we were talking. This is not something I pre-planned. Um, okay. Obviously, I didn't give you any info about it ahead of time. No, not at all. <laughs> so I've been thinking for a while that my, kind of my catchphrase is when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But I don't have a lemonade recipe for the podcast. So I was wondering if you would be up to the challenge to kind of invent your version of both an alcoholic and non-alcoholic lemonade that we could feature and share with our listeners, what the recipe would be. You know what? Absolutely. I'll be absolutely thrilled. And it's, it's funny that you say that because on the new summer cocktail menu that I just put out for when we uh, reopened just uh, two days ago, um, I have a drink on there. It is a house strawberry lemonade that I make in-house, um, you know, every week. Uh, uh, and it's, you know, spiked with a little bit of booze. Obviously, it's a cocktail. <laughs> and it, I, I call it bad decisions. <laughs> the drink is bad decisions. <laughs> and it's, some of our employees have taken on uh, themselves to uh, uh, swap out the vodka at the end of their shift with tequila and call it worse decisions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would absolutely love to, uh, to make you, uh, a lemonade recipe. Absolutely. That sounds great. 
Awesome. Well, Caleb, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day and really sharing this personal journey with all of our listeners. Um, I know a lot of this you probably haven't shared with people before, so I'm really grateful that you felt comfortable talking with me and kind of sharing this with everyone. Absolutely. I definitely feel like this is something that, um, you know, some people, I think a lot of people can relate to. And I, I really wanted to to share my experience in that regard. And hopefully someone listens and, you know, I, hopefully it helps someone in the end. Yeah. So as we get ready to close out the episode, if people want to follow along with you and your journey and the restaurant's journey, um, what's the best way for them to either find you on social media or get in contact or things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Social media, uh, Facebook is Iron Duck Restaurant, um, and definitely follow us there. That's where most updates are are happening. We are about to uh, start the social media with uh, Twitter and Instagram at Iron Duck Rest, R-E-S-T. And uh, otherwise, you're more than welcome to uh, call into the restaurant, 920-434-9511. And if you're in the area, uh, you know, Howard, Green Bay, you know, Appleton, uh, swing on by and ask for me. I'm here all the time. I've got my cards out with my personal number on it. Um, give me a call, reach out. I'd love to talk to you. Awesome. And for anybody who does want to connect with you, we'll put kind of that info in the description of the podcast so they can find you on social media very easily. And I know definitely next time that I end up home in the greater Green Bay area, I will be coming for a visit and I would love to check out the restaurant seeing that I haven't had that opportunity yet. Absolutely. You better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you again, Caleb. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing how you continue to grow and expand both your restaurant and your future business ventures. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, good luck with your podcast. I hope it pulls up. (laughs) Well, if we have more guests like you, that is uh, pretty possible to happen. Oh, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to learn more about this podcast, be sure to check out our social media on Facebook and Instagram at Crush and Lemons. And if you or someone you know would be interested in being one of our future guests, send us a note to crushandlemons at gmail.com. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with someone you know and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming service you've listened to today. It really helps us grow. If you're dealing with your own lemon moment, just remember you're never alone. There's always other people out there who've gone through similar things. We look forward to sharing more stories with you in the future. In the meantime, keep an ear out for when our next episode drops and work to turn your lemon moments into your very own lemonade. We'll talk to you in the next episode.